Hello listeners, it's the very first episode in Unquote's private equity podcast series. In this, the first of an introductory two-part special, we discuss all of 2018's big themes. The UK's Brexit fears, France and Italy's record years, and increasingly creative finance years. And look forward to what 2019 could possibly hold in store. It's all here in Unquote's European private equity podcast. And to help me out with this, I have a panel of experts. First up, we've got Grégoire Gilles, who is the editor at Unquote, and he'll be giving us a pan-European overview of the market. Hi, Oscar. We've also got Kenny Wastel, who is a features editor and UK reporter at Unquote. He'll be telling us all about the positive impacts that Brexit's had on the private equity market in the UK this year. Hi, Kenny. Hi, Oscar. I will uh, endeavour to give a balanced overview of the uh, UK private equity and the impacts of Brexit. Great. We'll look forward to that. Um, we've also got Francesca Veronese, who is our France and Benelux reporter. Today, she'll be telling us about the French private equity market. Hi, Fran. Hi, Oscar. Yeah, I'll be delighted to give you an update on France today. Great. Looking forward to that. And finally, we've got Alessia Gentieri, who is our Southern European reporter. She'll be talking to us all about private equity in the Southern European regions today. Hi, Alessia. Hi, Oscar. And uh, just before we get into it, I should say, if you want more details on anything that we discussed today, we'll be releasing the annual buyout review, which gives a full breakdown of all the data across all the regions. And that'll be coming out in early uh, 2019. So, Greg, we'll start with you and give you a nice, easy question to kick off. Uh, what would you say is the headline for European private equity in 2018? Um, still strong, but not as strong. <laughs> it would be the, the kind of the slightly nondescript answer I'll, I'll give there. Um, look, you really can't argue that um, you know European private equity has had a bad year. I don't think that's that's the case at all. From a you know almost across the board, uh, part, perhaps from part of the UK market, and, and we'll come to that in a bit. Um, and if anything, if I look at it from a from a from an investment perspective, from a deal flow perspective, again across the board across Europe, it's actually been a really strong year in terms of deployment. Uh, so we've got a couple of weeks left in the year, um, you know. And our researching is still crunching the numbers. Um, but buyout activity is nearly on par with 2017 when I look at it in, in volume terms. And that's already well in excess of, you know, any post crisis year prior to that. And that's by, by some margin. And when I look at aggregate value, I think we're currently standing about 172 billion uh, euros for the year. And that's already ahead of the 2017 total. And again, there might be some big deals that, that come out in the next couple of weeks uh, as everyone just sort of rushes towards the end of the year, as they tend to do. Uh, so on that front, it's actually been pretty strong. Yeah. Okay. Um, I just want to push you a little bit on that because we have seen some negative headlines, perhaps more on the fundraising side of things. Ah um, uh, yes, that's uh, that's the flip side to, uh, to that strong year, and that's that's my point with uh, you know strong but not not as strong. I think fundraising is, is clearly kind of taking a little bit of a step back, um, and that's uh, again we'll um, we'll crunch the numbers, but assuming there are no kind of late December bumper fundraisers. Um, I think we've got about 90 billion euros of, of commitments uh, for 2018 uh, for European managers. That is, and that's a that's a much lower figure compared with with both 2017 and 2018, uh, and that's spread out across a uh, across a much lower number of funds too. So that's the that's the flip side. But again, you've got to look at the past couple of years, which have been 
crazy in terms of uh, European fundraising, uh, both 2017 and 2018, very, very strong, uh, very clear, some kind of post-crisis records. Um, and, and therefore, you know, while you could look at this and go, oh, there you go, appetite for European private equity is cooling off because, I don't know, assets are too pricey, the UK is too uh, uncertain, and there's not enough quality assets around. Yeah, all very valid reasons. I don't think uh, appetite is actually cooling off to to that extent. Um, and I think that was a point that was made in our end of year roundtable. You'll see the best managers still, you know, have no problem at all closing funds very quickly as well. Uh, and we look at, you know, even in the UK, look at the inflections of the world, and you know, just really smashing it in terms of in terms of fundraising pace and uh, and volume. Uh, and even pan-European, you know, kind of EQT, HG, closing large vehicles really, really quickly. Um, so I think there's no, there's no really, uh, there's no cause for concern there. But, you know, when we get into the, the different regions, the, the picture is always going to look a little bit different. Yeah, that's... Um, I think that sort of explains the slight mismatch, which might be, I think I've heard from people recently came out of our roundtable a little bit as well, that they see these negative headlines from us and other private equity news outlets and just think this doesn't match with what we're seeing. Um, you know, if, if they've raised a fund very quickly or they're working on behalf of LPs that seem like they're very busy with re-ups to existing fundraisers all the time. Um, so I think that goes quite a long way towards uh, explaining it. Um, yeah, but that's, that's the, and that's the whole point of private equity, after all. You should be that guy, you know, as in, it shouldn't matter what the rest of the European stats look like. Yeah, fair, yeah it probably is going to make your job easier if you're selling private equity to, to investors across the world to have that sort of momentum and to, to have that tailwind. But the really successful guys, that's all they need. It's their track record. It's not, you know, what the other guys are doing. If anything, it's better. It's better for them if, if you know, LPs are less inclined to, to back other funds in your in your bracket, but they are keen to get in yours. You're winning at private equity. That's pretty yeah. good. Well, I guess that could explain some of the vociferous reactions to the <laughs> suggestion that maybe private equity haven't had quite as good a year. No, look, um, it's it, it's it's not as as good a year necessarily in terms of fundraising. You really can't deny that. Um, but it's more what that means for the next twelve to eighteen months, roughly. That. I'm really interesting. And that's my main take. That's my main anticipation for next year is to see where does that leave us um, in terms of we've got all that dry powder that's been accumulated over the past of two, three years. Um, and it's really to see whether activity can keep can keep going despite you know, the, the, the headwinds that we're going to talk about in, in some parts of the market um, in order for it to be deployed sensibly and without pushing prices much higher. Okay. Thanks very much. We'll be back in a second. So next up, we need to talk about the UK and Ireland private equity market. Um, so, Kenny, would no-deal Brexit really be that bad for private equity? Wow. Okay. So you've gone right in there at the deep end. I had, uh, <laughs> right I had all these stats in. prepared, but you've you've come in straight with a with a zinger right there. Um, I think the answer to that question from the discussions that I've had with people who obviously know a lot more about this than I do, uh, is that it depends what part of the market you're looking at. Um, if you're looking at internationalized businesses that have cross-border supply chains, 
being so close to Europe, obviously, a lot of those companies, the supply chains are going to come from Europe. Uh, yes, yes, it's going to have a huge effect. And if your sales are in Europe, then yes, a no-deal Brexit would have a huge effect. Um, Just looking at the most recent version of our magazine, I saw okay. that not everyone agrees with that take. Uh, is it right that some of the investors you spoke to thought that businesses would just get on with it and uh, actually no deal could maybe be the best scenario? Well, there's a, there's an obvious, uh, there's an obvious argument for the fact that, uh, I think it's an old political saying, don't let a good crisis go to waste. Uh, and obviously any uncertainty always brings opportunities. Uh, on the whole, I don't think that is the established viewpoint of the, the private equity industry. There are people, there are people who, who argue that. Uh, but it's, yeah, it, it, it would undoubtedly be a challenge, uh, I okay. believe. We'll have to, I mean, for more information on that, if any of our listeners want to check out Kenny's uh, leader for this version of the magazine, I think you get a range of viewpoints, that'd be fair to say, Kenny. There are people, as in all uh, walks of life, who have different different opinions on the what, what implications the outcome would have. All right, great. Um, so yeah, I'll let you now uh, give me a few a few statistics. What how have, how's the UK been doing this year? Okay, you kind of blindsided me with Brexit because I was <laughs> I was going to lead with Brexit, but you know. Uh, anyway, I think we could have an entire pod series dedicated to the impact of Brexit on UK private equity. Uh, if we're looking at if we're talking about from a deal front, uh, there's very little getting away from the fact that the overall figures make pretty grim reading. To be honest. Um, the UK is the, so it's the only European region to have seen a drop, uh, in aggregate deal value this year. The only, uh, European region that, that we cover. It also has seen the third largest drop in volume as well. And I think in aggregate value terms, that's, uh, around 15%. The volume is around 10%. Now, curiously, that is, it's, it's a nuanced picture because if you are a follower of Unquilt, you will have seen that in Q3, deals valued at up to £100 million actually reached their post-crisis quarterly peak in the third quarter of the year. Uh, that might come back somewhat to, to topics we were discussing before, where a lot of these companies will have less uh, reliance, perhaps, on international trade, uh, on international supply chains, etc., etc., Probably what it also is a reflection of is the fact that there are a lot of, there are a lot of mid-market players that have raised big funds in the last years. Basically, just about every household name, uh, mid-market GP in the UK has been out raising funds and that capital has to be deployed. That's the, the, the overall story. Do do they have a bit less competition from the European funds that perhaps slowed down their investments into UK and Ireland, that would be fair to say. I think most of the pan-European funds tend to be operating at this slightly higher end. And yes, there has been that there has been some evidence that larger deals have slowed significantly since, which is probably what has a, a large impact on those on those figures that I was mentioning earlier. Um, yeah, you blindsided me again. <laughs> I appreciate it's difficult to say. We don't have the, the full data, but I do seem to remember that um, international investors from some parts of the world have perhaps um, increased their investment pace into UK and Ireland. 
there has been on the exit side, um, but, but there have been some uh, international, there's been some non-euro, non-sterling denominated uh, investors that have kind of upped their investment pace, uh, particularly on the exit front. Though uh, There have been, uh, especially at the beginning of the year, so tail end of last buyers. year going into this, there were a lot of international trade buyers in the market. I've been guaranteed that uh, by by many people in the market that no one would be so speculative as to just purely make an investment based <laughs> on uh, currency. But there is the underlying fact that you know sterling assets are much cheaper to a dollar buyer now than they were two and a half years ago. That that remains the fact. That makes sense. Um, also, be cheaper today than they were two days ago. That's also true. <laughs> we speak just after the uh, postponement of the of the meaningful so-called meaningful vote. By the way, if it's cheaper for, for example, US-based non-euro investors to invest in the UK, then they should be investing more in the UK than in France. Would, would you expect that to be true? Well, I, I suspect the reason you're asking me that question. <laughs> Lovely leading question. I suspect the reason you're asking me that question is because you know that for the, uh, so I looked at the, the figures from January until November, um, in each of the past sort of seven or eight years. And in the, what I found was that in the four years running up to the Brexit vote, uh, the UK comfortably outpaced uh, France in terms of the number of deals and the aggregate value of deals in each of those four years. And since since the Brexit vote, this is the second year in three that that has not has not been the case. But yes, you you might expect people to invest more in the UK. Coming back to your original question, uh, you might expect people to invest more in the UK that, that, than in France if that was the case. Although. Yes, we don't know what the currency situation is going to be like in uh, two or three years. So, so yeah, year to date, it looks like um, the UK and well, the UK may, for the first time on unquote records, I think, not be the largest private equity market in Europe. But perhaps we could uh, hear from you, Francesca, next up. Okay, so on the topic of political instability, um, we talk a bit more about France, and I'll come to you uh, on this one, Fran, because uh, it looked like France was going to beat the UK to um, volume of PE back buyouts this year, but France having a few problems uh, towards the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's going to affect it so much that it doesn't actually uh, come through and put UK to the post? So... Um, it's a little bit um, early to assess that. Um, for what we know for sure now that the situation is quite severe. So, I mean, in the past weeks, we've seen um, thousands of wounded, hundreds of um, arrests. Um, it's It's been quite chaotic. Yeah. Um, and just a few days ago, um, the finance minister, Bruno Le Maire, um, suggested that um, the economy um, was going to be severely affected. So um, for sure, there will affect tourism um, this month. Um, having worth going quickly to our Paris correspondent on that one because uh, <laughs> I know you were there recently, Greg, and uh, did it seem like the economy was quite uh, severe? Yeah, not necessarily the, the place where you'll do the most business uh, at this time <laughs> of year, especially uh, in retail because everything is boarded up. So no, if you if you're heavily invested in retail or indeed anything that's exposed to tourism, probably not the best mm-hmm. time of year. Mm-hmm. Um, which is in a way a shame because the travel sector was doing much better this year than the previous <laughs> years. So yeah. Um, in a way, political instability is never great. But um, I think ultimately it really depends on 
um, how long the crisis go on um, for and how will Macron reply um, and will he be able to rise to the challenge, basically? So, well, we'll need to wait for 2019 to see that. Sure. Um, but up until uh, th- this recent interlude, it been going pretty well, right? Could you give us a sort of brief overview of the product activity in France this uh, year? Yes, of course. So we've had um, overall uh, 36 uh, billion euros um, of deal value um, this year, which is um, the second most active year ever for France um, after 2006. Um, so, and as you know, it's been following, um, a few good, um, years. So last year, just to give you an idea, it was 32 billion, um, the year before 29. So, um, really. And, and how does that sort of break down? Is it uh, more kind of large cap investments or mid market? So exactly. Large cap, um, has really played, um, an important role here because, um, it was responsible for 18 billion. Um, of deal value, and that was spread across 17 investments. Um, and yeah, we've had 12 investments that were valued um, at around 1 billion. So, um, you know, on one side, um, that, that really did affect. Um, I would say mid-market and um, growth ha- haven't did increase, but not uh, drastically. And then on the other side, we've had a really, really positive year for venture. Um, so this year it did um, 500 million. Um, and last year it was more around 380. And I think that's a really good sign of the kind of entrepreneurial ecosystem that is really steadily improving in France. Yeah, that's a good point. And is it sort of the similar kind of thing on the fundraising side of things? Um, so fundraising actually, um, I guess similarly to other regions has slightly decreased. Um, so, um, last year we had, um, overall, um, 12, um, 12.7 billion. And this year we have, um, 11. So yes, definitely a, a slight decrease. Um, a remarkable fundraising was PAI's, um, Europe 7, um, which, um, collected, um, 5 billion, uh, which is really not bad for a, a French GP. Um, and also on Dira Partners, um, fundraised, um, 800 million, um, across two funds. So that was pretty good. I guess we have to ask uh, to what extent is that um, strong fundraising environment at the detriment of what's going on in the UK? Do you think uh, so? <laughs> what do you think about that? Um, so that's interesting. Um, it could be that um, I did hear that French investors think that international LPs are waiting with the UK um, and in the meantime committing to other regions. So France could have benefited um, from Brexit. It's interesting that that reflects as well on the large cap space as well. France has seen large cap go up. The UK has seen large cap come down. France has seen fundraising tail off slightly. The UK, by all accounts, fundraising has fallen off a cliff edge this uh, this yeah. year in, by comparison. So, yeah, I wonder to what extent that is true. France has historically been the, the, the other main private equity market in Europe. Is France the new? Okay. I'd be quite interested to get France take on, on that, but so I think you've got to give France a little bit of credit there. And I think just, <laughs> obviously I'd say that, and I'm, I'm very biased, and I'm, I'm aware of that. Um, but more seriously, you, you've got you've got to give uh, the country itself and its productivity industry a little bit of credit, I think. And it's not necessarily in, in negative compared to, to the UK. And you mentioned, you know, uh, the international investors can looking more towards France and that's the thing and that's the momentum and you look at the momentum on, on the buyout side and it's been going up uh, on the venture side as well that there's there's a real story you know the story that France and let's say you know France invested the uh, 
ex-Afik uh, trade body, wanted to sell for the past five years, mm-hmm. they can sell now. Yeah. They can mm-hmm. sell that sort of, you know, entrepreneurs doing well. It's a, it's a mm-hmm. thriving place to, to build a business. And, you know, and you, but on the other hand, you want to buy a five billion sort of industrial business, you can do that too. Mm-hmm. Is that, does that tie in with, with what you've seen Definitely. and, and um, what they're telling you? So one has always to bear in mind that um, France, on one side, is not doesn't have a mid-market that is as developed as the UK and, and Germany. But has a really strong large cap. So, and you know, it's, it's, I would say the combination of a, a mature market, really. So these large cap deals are showing what France is able to do. And these large cap fundraisings. Yeah. You know, even talking to the, the, the large cap um, investors, they are really putting a lot more effort into attracting international peace a lot more than two, three years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, they're really doing a strong effort. They're going to the US to, to fundraise. Um, they're looking at um, Asian money, um, Middle Eastern money. Um, it's a goal for most of large cap investors. So I think they're really trying to, um, they aspire to what the UK, what pan-European um, GPs based in the UK can do. Um, so yeah, that's the ambition for France. Right. The mid market is not, you know, it's still not what on a European level um, the French market could do better on that side. But I think what we've seen this year for large cap is really impressive. And there's the Macron factor as well, right? Mm-hmm. So obviously you discussed the fact that the last few weeks, uh, mm-hmm. as we as we record, the last few weeks haven't been, or the last week or two haven't been particularly great. But there is still the, I mean, investors love Macron, yeah. right? That's, yeah, yeah. So 2017, 2018 has been really, like, France has been really attractive. And that has nothing to do with the UK, so. Yeah. Give <laughs> yeah. France some credit. Give France some credit. That's what I say. Thanks very much for that, fun. We'll move on to Southern Europe now. So last but certainly not least, uh, we come to uh, the Southern European regions. Um, so Alessio, maybe you could start off, just give us a, a brief overview. It's sort of been insulated from the political crises going on in the north, has it? Yeah, well, uh, Southern Europe, well, obviously when we talk about Southern Europe, we um, uh, we are referring to the um, Iberia, Italy, um, also Greece and Malta, but primarily it's the market uh, which is constituted by Iberia and Italy. And what we've seen there has been um, a lot of instability, a lot of uh, political uncertainty, um, uh, especially in Italy um, after uh, the election and the new government that was uh, uh, led by populist uh, parties uh, and also a battle with the EU that there was about the um, draft budget for 2019. So we've seen a lot of instability, but despite that, the um, private equity activity has been very intense, very strong um, this year. Uh, in fact, uh, according to our database, we had 237 deals uh, for an aggregate value of 33.2 billion. So it was uh, a noticeable increase compared to the um, previous years. Um, which implies that uh, the interest of the investors is still uh, very much focused on the region and there are a lot of opportunities that can be uh, caught in uh, in this uh, part of Europe. Um, also on the fundraising side, we saw a very strong fundraising activity. Um, a lot of funds were closed by local GPs. Um, and we also saw an increase um, uh, in the interest of international uh, private equity houses, especially in Spain, where... Uh, uh, 
um, there were um, three quarters of the total capital invested uh, that were uh, invested by international funds. So uh, that was um, was uh, pointed out by the um, private equity in the national body, the ASCRI Association, that noticed that the interest of, of international private equity uh, private equity firms uh, has increased um, towards, uh, especially Spain, but also in Italy, we saw a lot of interest um, towards uh, local companies, uh, both in the mid market and also in the large uh, cap space where uh, local GPs sometimes uh, cannot uh, close big deals because obviously Italian funds are smaller than pan-European uh, larger funds. So uh, in the large scale, uh, large, um, large cap space, we saw a lot of um, activity from uh, pan-European international funds they invested uh, uh, in Italy. And so is that the same picture for Spain and Italy that you see these large international funds doing most of the large cap deals? Yes, yes, that's definitely a trend um, we can find in both uh, countries. Uh, and uh, in and fact, yeah. So, sorry, do you have this, just, I'm not sure if you've got the stats there on the relative sizes, is it, of uh, the Italian and Spanish markets? Did they both have record years or was it one sort of outperforming more than the other? Uh, no, they both had a very good year. In total, yeah, uh, in total was uh, 33.2 billion of um, aggregate valuable deals, 237 deals, and only talking about buyouts, we had 26.1 billion of aggregate value, so um, a noticeable increase compared to only 20.3 billion the year before and 20.6 in 2016. So the entire region has outperformed um, this year um, and not only that but also we saw a very a new trend that there was uh, in 2018 which was the increase in uh, mega deals so deals that are 1 billion or above uh, and they uh, increased this year we had 8 deals value at 1 billion or more uh, in southern Europe for a total of 14.3 um, billion um, by comparison all, we only had 4 mega deals uh, the previous year for only 5.3 billion and seven in 2016. Um, so the region, uh, in terms of aggregate value, has out outperformed all other regions except Benelux uh, for okay. mega deals, which is quite impressive for a small market like yeah, Southern very Europe. Interesting. Uh, and what sort of deals were they? Like, you know, is it sort of the Blackstones and, and those sorts of big international funds and what sort of sectors were they in? Um, yeah, well, the, the biggest one was uh, the acquisition of a Recordati a pharmaceutical company that was acquired by um, a consortium led by uh, CVC Partners. Um, but yeah, that was the, the, the biggest one. But there were others also in the industrial sector, in the energy sector also. RTR was acquired by an Italian GP called Fondi um, Italiani per le Infrastrutture from Terraferma. Uh, there was a Magadin, there was uh, in the industrial sector was also another big acquisition that was valued at around 1 billion. Um, so it, there are many sectors that are out of, outperforming in Italy, not just one. Primarily, uh, we find a lot of interest towards consumer, pharmaceutical and industrial. I guess this would be the, the winner for this year. Sure. I was going to ask, actually, um, just typically the made in Italy thing is like a big for Italy uh, being I guess the the bigger of the two larger markets historically, um, and obviously the made in Italy thing is it's a very consumer focused thing, and the consumer sector across. I know Fran, you discussed it in uh, Benelux. They were like the consumer sector was struggling in the UK. We don't even need to begin to to, <laughs> to look for examples. They're all over the place about consumer companies that are struggling. Um, but it's interesting that in Italy, are, are, are you saying essentially that that hasn't, you know, it's kind of bucked the trend on that front? 
Yes, actually the consumer sector has performed very well in Italy. This year has been the, the best sector of, of all. Um, well, I guess that's also because it's more, uh, um, we had a lot of um, good companies. They had a lot of uh, international um, links. They export a lot of their um, their sales. So they come from outside Italy. So they are not too uh, linked to the domestic market. And therefore, even if uh, there is a crisis or the... Mm. And the political uncertainty can create some, can reduce the confidence of international investors. But at the same time, there is always this opportunity, this possibility to invest in uh, companies that are uh, very uh, export oriented. So, okay. are those the ones that are attracting those large international? This is also this is very much in the mid market because um, most okay. of the, uh, the consumer sector um, is um, is mostly composed in Italy of uh, mid market companies, or smaller companies. Uh, Certainly, also the, the large cap. Um, I mean, the large funds invest in uh, in big companies when they are sure that these companies are able to perform even uh, well, even if the uh, political situation uh, is not going uh, very well. So they have to be companies that are uh, they, have, um, they, they are able to export a large part of their production abo- abroad. Otherwise, international investors don't feel confident enough, at least at this uh, moment in time, to invest in that. Very interesting. Uh, and do you think we might see? Um any sort of pan-European GPs coming out of Italy in the near future? I know there have been there are a couple already, right? Uh, yes, there are some uh, companies, some Italian GPs such as Ambienta, for example. They uh, try to invest also abroad. Um, some of them try invest also to Austria, I guess. Also. Yes, also yeah. uh, exactly. Uh, they try also sometimes to have a more focus, uh, a sector focused approach. So select um, their selection um, uh, is not geographical, but it's more uh, uh, sector focused. Uh, uh, that also again to guarantee to their LPs that their uh, choices are gonna um, respect certain type of uh, criteria uh, but yeah we, we also seen that development and uh, we can hope that it's gonna increase also in the coming year great well thanks very much Alessia um, thank you all right thanks everyone uh, now just before we uh, wrap up producer Tim's telling me we're, we're running out of time here um, it'd just be good to get uh, last input from everyone um, on how they see the private market developing next year um, we'll start in the the same order that we uh we went round in first, so Greg, uh, sure. I've asked you this already, but I'm uh, yeah, <laughs> that's on the fine. Spot I will. Again. Uh, I will make predictions that, that will prove to be completely unfounded uh, by the time March sort of rolls around. Uh, no, but I think uh, I would expect continuation, really. And again, that, that comes back to what we were saying about it not being necessarily a, a you know a complete departure. We saw over the past twelve months. Uh, I expect to see more creativity, and I think we've seen that both on the fundraising space and the secondary space, particularly. And I think that will continue. Uh, but also, I, I will keep an eye out definitely for the uh, the availability of what I call top shelf investment opportunities because they're really the ones that are going to drive a kind of upside to to invest uh, and justify high prices. And that's the only way really that the, the deep pockets that have been filled over the past you know eighteen twenty four months will will be deployed sensibly. Uh, so that's uh, that's my take for next year. Uh, Potentially a, a pivotal point, but we're not there quite yet. All right. Thanks, Greg. Uh, Kenny, do you agree with that? 
Well, yeah, who, who would I be to, to uh, disagree <laughs> with uh, with my editor, Rick Gill? Uh, but uh, no, on a on a UK related note, I think the the longer the uncertainty goes on, the more we're going to see more of the same. We're going to see fewer sort of international, big, large cap deals in the in the UK. Um, the mid market players, the story doesn't change hugely for them. They've still got capital to deploy and they're still going to have to deploy it. Uh, the one place that I would sort of keep an eye on is something that uh, we looked at earlier this year, which is the tech space. Uh, and it seems to be proving a very popular place for people to be deploying capital at the moment, um, for people to be making buyouts. Technology crosses borders a lot easier than physical goods. So that would be that would be my sector to keep an eye on. Yeah, certainly can't argue with that. Um, Alessia? Um, yes, in terms of Southern Europe, a lot um, would depend on um, the political situation, uh, how it evolves and um, what happens with um, in Italy with the government, also in Spain with the populist movements and uh, similar factors that can obviously um, discourage international investors. But certainly so far we see that there is a lot of, um, there, are, there are big potentials for the region. So we expect this uh, trend to continue in the, in the next year with an increase of that increase in deals and also a stronger fundraising um, uh, period. Thanks. Um, and we've all been fairly in line with our predictions so far. Fran, do you want to rock the boat and uh, predict something completely <laughs> different? Completely. Um, the market will go down <laughs> in France. Um, you know, um, you know if, if you think political instability might affect um, the beginning of 2019, but if you think about it, um, political the p- political context was definitely not helpful for private equity before Macron came around. So it could be that uh, the private equity market is just uh, in France is a little bit more resilient to political changes. Um, it's difficult to assess, but um, the way things are looking now, um, the, the 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 market is strong, um, stable, so things should continue um, increasing. I would just say I think a few sectors. Um, that are not cyclical, um, that have been proven, that have been very popular this year, uh, will, will see further investments. Um, and digitalization is a huge theme, um, across several sectors. So that will definitely continue. Yeah. And I agree with all of you. I think we're set for at least one more record year. Um, before a monumental uh, crash. Is that, is, that what, is that what you see the next cycle? <laughs> Have yeah. you reached the peak? Um, I think we're getting there. Um, anyway, so you'll get more of my insight on uh, the next pod where we'll be discussing all of the European regions that we cover that we haven't spoken about today. So that's DAC, Nordics, uh, Central and Eastern Europe and the Benelux region. Um, but for now, uh, thanks to all of my panel. Thank you, Fran. <laughs> thanks, Alessia. Thank you. Cheers, K-Dog. Thank you very much, Oscar. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Greg. Thank you, Oscar. Pleasure. Thank you.